We'll open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. And while you're turning there, I want to say thank you to those who were able to come out yesterday and to help with our new uh, sanctuary project. Um, I called Leroy this Friday and said, hey, brother. There's a bunch of kids from Nebraska Christian who are needing some help on their service hours. Do you mind if I send you a crew? And he said, go for it. And so uh, it was neat to see the international students here. It was neat to have uh, Reagan here to help us out as well. Uh, it was funny, though. I, uh, Cora had a basketball game over there, which is a lot of, if you've never been to a thrilling game, go to a second through fourth grade basketball game. Um, so before they started, I come over here, and as soon as one of our students got here, he already had a nail in his foot. And so, uh, and so he's sitting there. He's like, "I'm fine," you know. They, we actually had a doctor next door we brought over, and then he turns to me and says, "Yeah, this isn't the first time." And I'm like, "Okay, so that's not an us thing. That's a you thing." So I mean, that made me feel better at least. I mean, I felt bad for him, but um, I joked with him. Said, "Yeah, on construction sites, you don't bring Crocs." So that's, uh, that's what we do. But no, I'm thankful for those who have labored, um, and I'm excited that uh, one day be in there and for God's glory. So. Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 33 through 36. Luke writes to us, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy... Your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's open this morning in prayer. Father, this morning we thank You for an opportunity to open the sacred scriptures to see the truth that you have for us. And Father, as we open the scriptures, we pray that the, the word of God this morning will not return void, that it will accomplish the intended purposes that you have for it. And Father, I pray this morning that if there are those here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would examine their hearts to see that they are indeed lost and that the word would convict them and that they would repent and believe. And Father, I pray for those of us here who do know Christ, that we would be convicted to, of any sin issues in our life, that we would be living vessels, true ambassadors of the living God. And Lord, I pray that you will just be honored in all things. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. I have been in ministry for what seems like forever, but compared to some, it's been not long at all. Uh, and most of my time in ministry has been with youth ministry. In fact, when we came here, uh, the church was aware we had been working with teens and students for quite some time in West Virginia. And I, and I think I, I appreciate teenagers well because I'm a kid at heart and I can speak sarcasm, and which I learned again is not a spiritual gift, but uh, it gets me in trouble sometimes. But I love teenagers and I love we love doing events with them. We we love traveling with them and. And I think I shared this before. One time we, uh, we, we used to take the students from, uh, West Virginia to 
uh, Baptist Bible College in, in Springfield, Missouri, and you got to realize that the, the state of West Virginia is literally in the Appalachian Mountains. And so most of these kids had never been west of Kentucky. And so outside of that, it's, it's all flat. And so you get these all these kids in a 12, 15-passenger van, and it's like herding cats. We had a blast, though, and we would just go, and the land would turn flat, and it was exciting for them because they never really seen anything like this. And, and so it was, new, it was a new experience for them, and and so when we'd get to Springfield, uh, we would, uh, during the day, we would take the kids to the classes. Uh, they'd interact with the professors and students. But then in the night, we really could just kind of paint the town red. We could do whatever we wanted. And, and so um, we would drive here and there. Uh, one of the, the big things to do in Springfield, Missouri is, is uh, how many of you enjoy, like, Bass Pro? Uh, Bass Pro is a pretty big deal. And there, it's headquartered there. So um, you can go there, and it's massive. They've got a new aquarium that they just installed, but you have to pay money to go see it. Uh, they also have the, uh, uh, they've added the National Rifle Association. They've got a museum there for guns. They're just, you can spend hours there. They've got live animals. They've got alligators. You can uh, watch them feed the fish. There's just, there's so much you can do. So we're, we're driving all around town. And, and one thing we do is we take them to Branson, Missouri. Branson's about an hour from Springfield. And they have Sight and Sound. And if you know what Sight and Sound is, Sight and Sound is a Christian organization that puts on uh, plays. They take biblical stories and put them on. They're extremely well done. And uh, I said, okay, here, we're going to do this. So we've been driving all around town. And as we were driving, uh, leaving spring, and we got to remember, when you go to Sight and Sound, we made the kids dress up. So I had a suit on. Uh, the girls were wearing dresses. Uh, some of the boys had nice shirts on. And, and so as we're leaving uh, Springfield to head south into Branson, just as we get out of town, all of a sudden, all my lights went off on, on the van. And, I'm, and, I, and I began to lose control, not like I was swerving, but I could not steer as I wanted to. We ran out of gas. And so I have to pull over as best I can and break and realize that we're in the middle of, of, of you know, it's like it's in March, April. It was, I mean, it's not too bad temperature-wise, but we're in, I'm in a suit, kids are dressed up, and I have to walk to a gas station now. Now, that's a humbling experience if you've never had to walk to a gas station. Because if I had done this probably in the 80s, no one had a cell phone. But as soon as we pull over and out of gas, every parent in the entire church is aware that I have run out of gas. And so uh, a couple guys and I left, uh, my wife and some others, we left probably the, the, the least manliest man in the vehicle to guard it. And... Uh, so we walked, uh, and we had to walk a good probably mile or two because there was an exit back there. But then you've got to walk up an exit, come around, and find. And it was just, it was terrible. But the Lord was gracious. Um, we had, we bought a gas cans are expensive, by the way. Anyways, um, but it all worked out. But I remember thinking as I'm doing this in hindsight, as I was preparing for this, is that the whole time all the signs were there that hey, you need gas, you need gas, you need gas. But me and my excitement with everything else, getting caught up with the kids and conversation and joking and having fun, I didn't pay attention to the signs. The signs were clear. The signs were given. And if I had just paid attention and looked where I was supposed to, then we wouldn't have had this issue at all. I wouldn't be sweating and all that fun stuff. But I didn't, and there were consequences for that. And this morning, as we examine our text from Luke 11, verses 33 through 36, we're going to talk about God's truth and man's responsibility. 
And what we're going to see is that God has given light and, and man is responsible to it to the point that if he rejects it and there's consequences for that, he can't turn back and, and shake his fist at God and say, well, you didn't tell me. Because the light was there. The truth was there. This morning we will have four major points, if you will. Four points, if you will. If you've, if you, I grabbed a bulletin so I knew what I was preaching on today. Um, so if you've got a bulletin inside of it, there's an insert with some, uh, some point, from points there. We'll go through this together. There's four things I want us to look at. And the first one's found in verse 33. And the truth is this, is that God has given light or truth for all to see. God has given truth for all to see. Let's look at verse 33. Luke writes, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, before, before we can really exegete this passage, again, we need to go back to our context to see how did we get here. Just as a side note, remember when we t- when we read the Bible, we need to make sure that the Bible is in its context. So we can, we need to look at the surrounding verses, the surrounding chapters. What is the author doing here? Because we can't just take the Bible out and make it say whatever it wants. The question is not what do you think does the Bible say. The question is what does the author want this to say. And if we go back to, to chapter eleven here, beginning with verse fourteen, the 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 scene really starts off with an exorcism. Jesus has been. Going in his ministry for some time. In Luke 9, we see Jesus is now resolute, facing Jerusalem, say, I'm going to go face my, why I came. I'm going to go face the religious leaders. I'm going to go die. So he's on his way there, and he'll be doing this all the way till Luke 19 when he enters Jerusalem. But Jesus has been doing his thing. He's been going around teaching. He's been doing miracles. And it says in verse 14 that he was casting out, uh, yeah, verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And in the process of this, he, he has healed a man who is unable to talk because the demon has uh, uh, forced him to be this way. And Jesus frees the man. The demon goes out. And it says in verse 14 that the man began to talk and that the people marveled. Remember, Jesus doesn't do this quietly in a corner. This is for all to see. But in the middle of this exorcism, at once it's accomplished, the crowd is excited, but we saw in verse 15, but some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And if you will recall, it is here that the crowd speaks up for the first time, really, in in an accusative manner. And if we were to do some comparative passages with the other gospel accounts, we would argue that most likely this is coming from the religious leaders. They had seen the miracle, they had uh, seen what God has done, and, and the conclusion that they have drawn is that Jesus is working in cahoots with Satan himself. Jesus obviously denies this, says that a, a house divided cannot stand upon itself, and, and if, you, if you understand that I do this by God, that the kingdom of God has come near you, that salvation has come near you, that the king is here. He then shifts down here to verse 27 and 28 of, of Luke 11. You remember that the, the scene is still here, the, the crowd is still here, and while this is going on, a woman speaks up, potentially to kind of back Jesus, if you will, or pretend, uh, potentially to um, uh, kind of maybe make the things less awkward. She cries out in verse 27, she says, um, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast and that you nursed. In other words, your mother is a truly blessed woman because of who you are. 
And Jesus tells her, if you recall, that indeed she is blessed, but the greater blessing in verse 28 is blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. True blessing from God does not come from a relational relationship here on earth. It comes this way. It's not about who you know here. It's about being right with God this way. Those who are truly blessed hear the Word of God. And again, the Word of God here is, is the truth that's coming from Christ. It's, it's the Gospel. And those who hear the Word and obey it or keep it. Jesus then shifts into verse 29 through 32. Because as the crowds are increasing, we talked about how Jesus did not tone down His teaching. In fact, He amps it up a little bit. And it's in verse 29 through 32, he brings up two examples of people in the Old Testament who were given very little light, but responded in a saving faith way. If you recall, he talks about how this generation of Israelites were wicked people, not because they were more morally corrupt than the generations prior to them, but because they had hardened their hearts that they would only believe if a greater sign was given to them. And Jesus responds to them. He says, a, a greater, a greater, uh, another sign will not be given except one, which is the sign of Jonah, which is just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the Son of Man be three days in the grave. Again, a reference to his resurrection. And then he indicts them. He says in verse 31 of chapter 11 that the queen of the south will rise up. And if you remember, we saw this passage and went back to, and looked at 1 Kings 10. He says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? Verse 31, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom in Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So he, he does this accusation from the lesser to the greater. He says, during the time of Solomon, the queen of the south of Nubia, of this, of, of this, of this country, had heard about Solomon's God. She'd heard about Solomon's wisdom. And she traveled, if you remember, almost 1,500 miles, which is essentially from Central City all the way to, to Los Angeles, without a car, without Uber, without an airplane, without a train. She makes a trek just off that little light given, goes, responds, and believes. And he says that she will rise up on the judgment of this generation and condemn them before, because she responded with little light and you've got something much greater than Solomon here. Talking, referencing himself. And then he says the same thing in verse 32, that the men of Nineveh, they will rise up as well with the queen of the south and they will condemn this generation. Why? Because Jonah came and was assigned to them. He preached repentance to them. Remember, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, were Israel's enemy and that these people hated God. They, they worshiped their own gods. But when Jonah shows up, the people repent and believe. And he says they were given much less light and they will condemn you because something greater than Jonah is here. This brings us to our passage. But before we jump into this, I need to note something here because it's going to help us here. I want us to talk about the character of God. Because the point, the first point that we're going to look at here, as I stated, is that God has given light or truth for all to see. But who is this God that we talk about? Who is this God that is represented in the Scriptures? You and I both know that He's holy. The Scriptures say that He's holy. And, and the word holy means to be, to be set apart. He is, he is not like us. He is pure. He is perfect. And, and we are not. Not only is He 
holy. The Bible says that He is just. And let's be honest, we are thankful for a God who is just. There's, there's, there's a lot of talk these days about social justice and people wanting justice. And deep down as believers, we should want justice because justice is a biblical concept when it's done the biblical way. But justice means to right the wrongs. We all want to judge who does the right thing. If someone is murdered, we don't want to judge to just kind of bat an eye and wave his hand and say, well, he's guilty, but we're just going to let him off. Then we would say, where's the justice? We want a God who's going to right the wrongs. And, and as we counsel people and give truth, we can comfort them and know that say, one day God will right the wrongs. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And just as we would say, praise God for his justice at the same time, that should scare us. Because you and I, fallen man, are not perfect and are sinful. And God has every right to give us what we deserve. He's holy. He is just. He is loving. Oh, we talk about the love of God. His care, His concern for us. Love is not just a a feeling or an emotion. Love does. It acts as we see in the Scriptures. He is a loving God. He he is a gracious God. The word grace means to be uh, 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 unmerited favor. He bestows and gives us that which we do not deserve. We we deserve wrath. We deserve hell. We deserve to be separated Him for all of eternity. And what does God do? He says, I'm going to extend grace to you to where you do not have to endure that. In fact, one of my one verse in the Old Testament does this well. It says in Exodus 34, it says that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will, know by, who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So this God who is loving and gracious is kind is a God of wrath and is a just God. And that is not a schizophrenic God or a bipolar God. That's God in His perfection. Well, how do we know God is holy? How do we know God is 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 just and loving and gracious. How do we know that He is truly loving and gracious? Because we have to look at the the, the scriptures. Romans five eight tells us that God demonstrated His love. How did God demonstrate His love towards us? Let's be honest. You and I are sinners. The Bible is very clear that when God created us, that the creation rebelled against the Creator, and that and that we were deserving of death. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when you and I sinned against God, we have he, he has every right just to wipe us off the face of the earth at that moment. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve, but we know that we are rebellious people, sinful people, deserving of His wrath, but God extends grace to us. He did it in the garden by providing a sacrifice. He extended grace by not removing them and and eliminating them immediately. What He does is, He says, I'm going to provide for you. And then He extends hope to them in Genesis 3.15, in which He says, listen, there's going to come a, a deliverer who's going to crush Satan. Our promise of a messianic figure. 
And brothers and sisters, can I tell you this morning that the grace that God offers us, that the hope that God has given us stems from His light. In other words, that God has revealed truth to us. God is, we know that He is gracious and loving because He has extended this to us. He has revealed this about Himself. He has demonstrated this, Romans 5, to us. Now, let us look at verse 33 now. After saying all of that, I want to bring this whole conversation into verse 33. And it says here that no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. The, what Jesus is going to do here, he uses the analogy of someone uh, lighting a candle or lighting a lamp, if you will. You and I both know that the purpose for a light is to not be hidden. In fact, what's really interesting is if you, work at, if you look at the word cellar there, the, the original word for cellar there has to do with a dark, remote place. They've translated the word cellar here. And so no one, after lighting a lamp, if you will, uh, takes that lamp and, and hides it. Well, that's of course. What do they do with it? They put it on a stand. You probably have candles in your home. You... You don't you don't hide candles and then put them in a put them in a, a drawer somewhere to where they can't be seen. So it's weird. It's it's not right. You know, I, we um, if you've ever and, and when we lived in West Virginia, there was there was times when we would lose a lot of power because of a lot of trees and and when that rain comes and it, the storm and the winds blow, it knocks those trees down and it would take out power all the time. And so you either have to have flashlights or candles. And you take those candles and you light them. But you don't light them and just put them in a different room. No, no. You, you take it and put it out publicly. Why? Because other people need to see it. That's why you do it. He says in verse 33 that no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but, but on a stand. Why? So that those who enter may see the light. In other words, light is meant to give direction. It's meant to give hope. It's meant to let people see clearly when they could not see clearly in the dark. What Christ is getting at here, what Jesus is getting at as He talks to the crowd, is that God has not hidden Himself. God has not hidden Himself. He has put the truth out for all to see. The word light here is a synonym for truth, and that happens all throughout Scripture. So God has given this light for us. Say, hey, well, how has God given? Because you and I both know that not everybody's heard the gospel. You and I both know that there are tribes and nations and tongues right now who do not have a Bible even in their own language, let alone part of the Bible. That's why we praise God for people like uh, uh, the Wycliffe translators and those who, who give up their time to put the Bible in a language so that the gospel can move forward. But not everybody has it. So, so how can everybody have light? And the answer, first and foremost, is what we call general revelation. General meaning it's open. General revelation in Scripture comes from creation. Romans 1.19 tells us this. It says, for what can be known about God, Paul says, is plain to them. That's plain to the to the world. Why? Because God has shown it to them. In other words, what God says is that you can look at creation and you can say, wow, there is something more out there. There's a greater power out there. 
Psalm 19, 1 says it well. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. When you look at the sky, you look at the heavens, you can say, wow! What a happy accident! No! What a beautiful, beautiful creator. There's something bigger out there. There's, there's, there's something about standing and looking. I remember, uh, look, when the first time I went to Colorado, and we had family in Colorado Springs, so we flew out there. And the first time you stand face to face with the Rocky Mountains, you, you realize very quickly how insignificant you are. Or if you've ever been to the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, you realize as you look at this huge open water that you are just so small and compared to all of it. And God has given us creation so that even those people who have never heard the gospel can know that there is a God and that He is holy. In our immediate context, God had given light to the Jews. In fact, we would argue that in this time that they were the most enlightened people, not because they were smart, so much light had been given to them. Because they not only had general revelation, they had the Old Testament Scriptures, which we would call special revelation. That of all the peoples, out of all the world, God had chosen them and given them a special book that reveals who He is in an intimate setting. No other nation had ever had that type of light. They have creation. They have intimate, special knowledge. They have prophecies about a coming Messiah. And they're looking the Messiah in the face. And they're saying, we don't know if we believe you or not. We need something more. Brothers and sisters, the Scriptures are clear that God has given truth for all to see and understand. And this leads to our second point. Verse 34, which is this, is that, is that God has not only given truth, and not only has He given light for all to see, but we are responsible for the truth we've been given. Now again, I, I think I mentioned this last week, because uh, part of what we're discussing stems from last week as well, but when we talk about our modern society, they hate the word responsibility. That's a four-letter word. I substitute. I will substitute teaching. As most of you know, I do that occasionally over at Central City High School. And when you tell kids, hey, you know, hey, this is your homework, and they try to punt on it, it's like, listen, you're responsible for this. When you talk to your, because why? Inside, we like to be lazy. We like to be self-centered. And you say, hey, you're responsible. What do teenagers do? Like, oh. Kids on the farm would never do that, I know, or home. My, you know, Christian kids never do that stuff, right? It's just, oh. Why? We don't like, we don't like to take ownership. And so God has given this light, and we are responsible for the truth He's given. Look at verse 34, or verse 33 again. It says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that all, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Now you need to understand here that the lamp is not the light. The lamp is what receives the light. It's, a, it's the one that the light goes into so that it can be, that the, that the light can go out from. So you take the match, you put it in the, the lamp, if you will, and now it lights it up. So the lamp's not the light, but it's a conduit. It holds the light. 
And it says in verse 34, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Well, here the eye is representative of something. Robert Stein says it well in his commentary. He says, the eye here, this refers to one's spiritual vision or openness to God's word. In other words, the light has come and now your eye is this lamp and the eye is your thought process, your worldview. And what he says in verse 34, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. What does it mean to have a healthy eye? Well, a healthy eye is open to God's truth. It means you're teachable. It means that that you're willing to listen to the Word of God, that you're able to be corrected by the Word of God, that, that you are spiritually at least sensitive to the truth, that you've not hardened your heart to the things of God. Ultimately, it means to know Christ as your Savior. You see your sins, and you call them sins. To have a healthy eye means that you know that you, you know that you lie, and instead of monkeying around and calling it white lies or that you lied for different reasons, you take ownership and say, God says that I'm a liar, and that's indeed what I am. A healthy eye sees that there are spiritual issues in life. You, you see the brokenness inside of you, and you agree with God that indeed that these are broken. The angry person doesn't say, God made me this way. They take ownership and they say, I'm an angry person who sins against God. And so he says in verse 34, he says that when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Well, what does it mean to have your whole body full of light? In other words, once we trust Christ, once we receive the truth, every area of our inner man is penetrated. It's great how light works. When, when, you, when you throw a light bulb into a dark room, the light goes out and it exposes everything. Nothing can hide. Imperfections, the blemishes, the stains, it's all exposed. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you right now that when the Word of God exposes your sin and you get convicted or feel guilty, that's God's grace to you to show you that these things need to be dealt with. Light is a good thing. And yes, there's a time when, when that light comes in, we kind of we kind of get back from it. But we shouldn't run from the light. We should come towards it. Because then we are exposed and say, God, clean me up. Remove the darkness. Once we trust Christ, once, once that light penetrates, it, it hits every area. In the inner man, we're talking about our desires. When the light comes in, it exposes our hate and turns and God's truth changes us to become loving. We who were deceptive liars now are people of truth. We are selfish by nature, but when the light, when it penetrates us, we become selfish and we become generous. 
And in sin we are sexually broken and sexually deviant, but when the light penetrates and, and overcomes us, we become sexually pure. So again, verse 34, we're responsible for this light because he says, again, your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But, there's a contrast now, but when it is bad, when, you're, when your eyesight, when your spiritual vision is not good, your body is full of darkness. So what does it mean to have a bad eye? It means you're not open to God's truth. It means you're not teachable. When the truth of God is presented before you, you are unwilling to listen, unwilling to change, unwilling to agree with it, to submit to it, to fall under it. Why? Because you love your sin. What, is the, what does the Bible say that men love darkness? Why? Because their deeds are evil. We hate the light in our natural state. But the summons is to come towards the light. To embrace the light. Here in our immediate context, as Jesus is dealing with these people who are rejecting Him, the darkness means that you've got, you have made spiritual uh, decisions now against God's Word and you don't trust Christ. You don't see Jesus as who He is. What does it mean here? He says in verse 34, he says that, uh, but when, you're, when, you're, when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. So what does it mean to have a, a body that is full of darkness? It means that, that you are left in your original fallen state where you're in bondage to sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When you've made the decision that you're going to give in to sin, that you're going to love sin, you are incapable of pleasing God, and you are incapable of submitting to God's law on your own. You need an act of divine grace. This person is unteachable. They don't want the light. They reject the light. So before we continue on, let me ask you a question. How are your spiritual eyes? Are you concerned about the things of God? Are you concerned about truth? Are you concerned about light? Are you concerned about honoring Him and, and, and getting right with God? Or have you given yourself over to sin? Potentially to try to, to serve God your own way. Apart from His way. Maybe you're here and you just fully have given yourself over. Say, I just want I reject this stuff. I, I don't believe it. And that's a dangerous place to be. This leads us to our third point, if you will. The first point, again, is that God has given light or truth for all to see. He's the one who, who extends the light out, and we are responsible for the truth we've been given. The, that whether your eye is good or not depends on you. And this leads to our third point, which is there are consequences for rejecting the truth. 
There are consequences. Again, again, verse 30, let's read 33 into 35 now. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar, in a dark place, or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. I mentioned how society hates the word responsibilities. But I would argue it equally hates the word consequences. The term consequences in and of itself is not a bad word. Because the word, the consequence literally means it's just a result of an action. So you can have good consequences. If you pay your taxes, the IRS probably won't call you. If you pay your bills, the lights probably won't be shut off. Those are good consequences. But there's also bad consequences as well. I remember as a kid, if my parents had given me chores to do, and if those chores were not met, that usually there was a, uh, some sort of a, a spanking or there was some sort of a, a grounding that took place. We understand this. And what we, we're going to see here in verse 35 is that not only does God give light and that we're responsible for it, but there's consequences in what we do with that. If we reject it or not. He says here again in, in verse 35, therefore be careful. This is a warning. And can I submit to you this morning that warnings are a good thing? Because warnings are meant to keep you from, from danger. There's warning signs everywhere. There, there's, there's warning signs on the road. Hey, this bridge is out. That's not a strong suggestion. That's a fact warning you, don't go past this. It was a couple years ago. It still comes up on my on my uh, my Facebook memories, which is a wonderful memory to have, where we were uh, retrieving back from uh, Polk, from High Plains there. On it. We took the back way to pick up uh, my uh, children when they were living in Clark's, or staying at Clark's where my, my, my in-laws were at. And it had snowy, and I saw the sign, and I thought, and I saw the sign was tilted a little bit, so I didn't heed the warning sign, which says clearly STOP, which means, hey, just go around the corner. Because <laughs> I thought the road was curving, and it wasn't. That's a stop sign meant for me, stop, 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 because if you don't, you're going to go over this embankment. And sure enough, that's exactly what we did. Warning signs are good. We see them in the roads. We see them with weather updates. Hey, hey, that's why I love I love how we have whoever can hack into our phones. And all, you ever just sit there and all of a sudden you hear, and it's a, it's a weather announcement saying, hey, tornado weather. This is a big deal. That, that's a warning thing. Because, hey, danger is approaching. And, and when we talk about danger from a practical level, where it's a bridge out, this or that, there's consequences from a temporal level. But when Jesus gives you a warning from God himself and says, listen, there's a spiritual warning, this is a big deal. And so he says here, therefore, be careful. And what's he warning about? He says in verse 35, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. He's warning you about not seeing things the way you're supposed to. About being gripped by sin and, and, and rejecting the light. 
Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. One commentator said it this way. Make sure what directs your thought life is an, is what, I'm sorry. Make sure what directs your thoughts or your life is in fact the true light. What I live my life by should not be ten strong suggestions or what Oprah said today, or what Dr. Phil said today, or what my TikTok influencer said today, or what some lady with a Bible and coffee said on her Instagram post. No, what should direct my life is none other than the God of the universe. Because He is the source of life. What Do you remember as we go on, those of you who know the story, the crowds are going to eventually go away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, will you too go away? And Peter, who sometimes swings and misses, nails it this time. Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. Your words are truth. Where are we going to go? We're sticking by you. And Jesus warns them here. He says, you got to be careful because what you're living your life by, what, what's inside of you, is it darkness or light? Because listen to me, the Scriptures are clear. Satan operates and presents himself as an angel of light. Falsehoods love to present themselves as truth. Let me give you a few examples here. Charles Darwin in the, in the theory of evolution. It is almost impossible to walk into a museum these days and not see the tag millions of years tied to something. It's almost been accepted, it's accepted almost by every secular university that, that there's an evolutionary process, which there's no evidence of, the theory, that, 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 that there's evolution millions of years and this is how things went. And it's, it's, it's become, again, it's a theory, but it's presented as fact, as truth. You say, is that such a big deal? And brothers and sisters, I tell you today that that's a huge deal. Because if you eliminate, if you eliminate creation, you eliminate the fact that we are sinners, you, you eliminate Adam and Eve, and you, you remove the fact that there is a creator who has created us. Is that important? It's huge. We're no longer, we, have, we don't have a purpose. This is a cosmic accident, and you and I are just along for the ride. Mob rule. We have, we're in the middle of a sexual revolution. It, 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 is, it is propagated, it's, it's law now, that you can marry who you want. We live in a society that will allow children in some states to go ahead and pursue changing their sex on a physical level with little or no parental consent. We say, hey, we, you know, I, I, I just feel I should, I, I, I'm attracted to this person. And, and they say that's, and, and, and secular counseling would say, well, just, just go with that then. But 1 Corinthians 6 says that, that these who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The world is, is full of this, false light that says, just be you, or, or follow your heart, which is just really nice niceties. But the problem is they sound good, but they're evil, because you and I both know from Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above desperately things, and, de and, and, and is deceitful and wicked. 
that no good thing dwells in me. That's not a strong uh, suggestion from Paul. That means apart from Christ. Listen, no good thing dwells in me. I can't look for hope and light from within because I'm sinful. I'm the one that got myself into this mess. How in the world can I get myself out of it? If we are full of darkness, we will reject the truth. And if we reject the truth, brothers and sisters, we are hopeless. That's the warning that Jesus is giving us. God is indeed patient. He is gracious and He is kind. But He's also a God who is just and wrathful. And if you reject if you reject His light, He is not obligated to continue to extend it out. This may come as a surprise to some of you. I don't believe it will. But if you reject the truth of God and harden your heart, God can give you over to what's called a, a judicial hardening. In other words, you reject God and God says, fine, I will leave you in that state. Isaiah 29.10 says this, it says, For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes and covered your heads. In other words, you've rejected me and now I will punish you by leaving you in that state to die in your sins. Isaiah 44.18 says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. Now, why would God just arbitrarily cut people off? He didn't. What He did was, is He says they've rejected Me over and over again, and as My punishment to them, I'm going to harden their hearts so they won't see. Paul will pick this up in Romans 11 concerning the current status of the nation, the nation of Israel. You say, well, I don't know if that means that. Well, fine. Then there, listen to Jesus Himself. John 12. Though he had, this is what John says, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, remember the miracles, he did so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. He's given them light after light after light after light after light, and they've rejected, they rejected, they rejected. He said, fine, have it your way. Brothers and sisters, that's a real danger. And maybe you're here and you've been rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. God is not obligated to continue to, to be gracious to you. The fact that any of us are still breathing is, is a grace of God itself. But not only is there judicial hardening, there's also a giving them over to their sin. Romans 1 tells us that. I won't read it today for the sake of time, but in Romans 1... The people reject the light. They do their own thing. So it says that God gave them over. They do this, do this, and God gives them. So what God is, He constantly just gives them over to their sin, and they're lost. And they die. And do you realize why He gives you the warning? He gives us the warning because there's a real consequence. And what is that consequence? Just annihilation? No. The consequence for rejecting God, for being a sinner, is that you will spend eternity in hell. That's another thing that's rejected and not popular in our society. Whatever happened to hell? 
Jesus spoke about it just as much as He did about heaven. That there's a real torment. That those who, you, when you die, you either spend eternity with God forever, or when you, if you die in your sin, then you are separated from God to be tormented for all of eternity. Those are real consequences. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you that if we do not take that seriously, it will not motive, help motivate us to share the gospel with others because our friends, neighbors, family, and friends are all standing condemned. Let me skip to our final point here briefly. Our fourth point is this, is that those who know Christ will radiate God's truth for others to see. Again, verse 35, he says, Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. And he closes and says, If then your whole body is full of light, if, if you've believed the truth, if you've trusted in Christ, as, as God has given the light to these people in the crowd, he says, and if you've embraced me, right? And so you and I who have heard the word, you, someone, your grandmother, somebody brought you the gospel, and you believe, and, and, the, and the light penetrates every area. If then, the, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, in other words, you've driven the dark out, you've allowed the, the light, the truth, just to shed light on it, and it gets removed and dealt with, he says this, he says, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Meaning what? When you and I submit to Christ, when we trust Him, and He drives the sin out, and we work on dealing with our sin, what happens? We become a light for others. We're walking billboards. Paul calls us ambassadors, if you will. We've been adopted by Christ, so we have the family resemblance of radiating the glory of God, the truth of God. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And that's why it's so important, important here, verse 36, he says, having no part in dark, because if you say you're a Christian, but you're hanging around in the dark, you're not radiating the light. Brothers and sisters, do you radiate God's truth? Are you so consumed by Christ? That, that you see things clearly, that you deal with sin, and that, and that the world says there's something different about you, and, and they say, I want what you have. Does Christ shine through you? Or has the gospel light fainted? Because as a Christian, you've let sin take a place back in your life that it should never have had. Brothers and sisters, can I warn you about that secret sin of pride which hinders us from being workers of the Gospel? Where we can masquerade as agents and ambassadors of Christ when really we're doing this for our own glory? Or maybe it's sexual sins. Maybe you're, 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 you're trying to be a Christian. You're trying to live out the Gospel, but you're giving yourself over to pornography or, or, or evil, wicked humor or whatever it may be. And brothers and sisters, I need to tell you now as a warning that if we're going to be effective ambassadors, if we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it's going to be because we've dealt with sin and given and followed our lives for Christ. 
I was we had Greg Gifford with us here on Wednesday and we got to spend a few days with him. I love Greg, he's a good friend and and I love we were talking with some pastors about counseling and he goes sometimes when you sit in counseling it's we talk about he he brought up Ephesians 5 he says uh, you know everybody can tell you husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and sometimes you just got to look at the people and say listen sweetheart you got to buckle up and actually just do it now stop being lazy because many of us know the truth about whatever sin issues we're dealing with but we've become so apathetic and lazy and brothers and sisters I've been there we cannot allow that to happen to us. We have to be who God has called us to be, which is faithful ambassadors. So as we close, I want to say this. I, my prayer for you is first and foremost, is if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you, repent of your sins and give your life to Christ. If you don't know Christ, you, 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 you may not have another chance. You don't know when you're gonna die. You don't know if, if, if this may be it today. You may not have another chance to repent because, because today is the day of salvation. You're not in control of your life. God is sovereign over all this. And whether you've been coming for 10, 15 years, or you've been coming from one, for one day today, this is your first time, listen, there is a God, you are sinful, and you need Christ to pay the debt that you could not pay. Repent and believe. And for those of us who know Christ, may we check our spiritual eyesight that we are sensitive, that we are committed to the Scriptures so that we can deal with sin in our heart and let Christ shine brightly from our life. And I pray that Grace Bible Fellowship, that we will be a bright light to the communities around us for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity this morning to open the Scriptures. And I thank You for the truth that's in it and the warning to us all. And Father, I pray for those here who may not know Christ, that they may repent of their sins and give their life to Him. And that for those of us who know Christ, that we may repent of the sin in our lives that may have darkened the light, may have hindered the light, and help us to be useful lamps. Useful so that others may see and live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.